welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be with you today. We are continuing on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I know it has been a long break because I took that break over the summer, but I'm so grateful to give back in a regular monthly routine studying through the text with you all, so I'm looking forward to this. So we are on podcast episode 112, and this one is Jesus, the Law, and the Christian, and we are covering the verses in Matthew from chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. So before I get started, I do want to share with you all about a new community that we have. It's really just taking what I'm doing here, the Thankful Homemaker blog and podcast, to a more intimate setting. And it's called the Homemaking Matters Community. And it's a member community. And we're there to encourage and equip each other to be women who love caring for their homes and families and who desire to put the gospel on display. So that is our goal in the group. We have weekly live teachings. We cover areas like spiritual growth, caring for our homes. We have casual coffee chat times where I can bring some of you guys in live and we can share together. Um, We have Zoom time together in our book club. We do scripture memory. There's a lot of articles and resources. But what I love most is the relationships that are already developing the group, even in this first month. It has been really sweet. I am so blessed by these ladies. I love my time with them. There's no long-term commitment. You can sign up for a month, and if you realize it's not for you, you can stop. But um, if you are loving it, obviously I'd love you to stay, but I'm going to put the link for the details. It'll be in the show notes, or you can even just head to thankfulhomemaker.com backslash homemaking matters. So let's get started. So again, we are covering today Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 to 20, and we're going to get an understanding today on what the role of the law is in our lives as believers. So always, all the past episodes to the Sermon on the Mount series are linked in my menu at the blog under the Christian Living tab. You'll see there, there's the spiritual disciplines in the menu too. So if you're just joining us for the first time, you can go back as you get time and listen to the past episodes from this series. Or if you've been here a bit and you just want to review a lesson or you missed one, they're all there for you to go back and work through. So since it has been a bit, I'm going to do a very quick recap, all right? And Martin Lloyd-Jones gave us a great quote on this particular, on Jesus's Sermon on the Mount here. He said, there is nothing that so leads to the gospel and its grace as the Sermon on the Mount. So living out these principles that are set before us in the sermon is God's design for us to live lives that are filled with joy, peace, and contentment. And we started our time in this series in Matthew 5, 1, where it stated, seeing the crowds, he, and that's referring to Jesus there, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And that was a verse we covered in our introduction, the very first one. So we talked about there that Jesus is heading to, I'm going to put it in quotes, to quote, take the pulpit and begin to teach the truths of the gospel of the kingdom that he came to proclaim. Our next verse after the introduction there took us to Matthew 5, 3, where it said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said, there is no one in the kingdom of God 
who is not poor in spirit. It is the fundamental characteristic of the Christian and of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And all other characteristics are, in a sense, a result of this one. He also said there is no more perfect statement of the doctrine of justification by faith than this beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as I shared before, we have to grasp this. This is foundational as we're working through this. We as Christians need to hear this reminder again because we get our view lost of where true blessing is to be found. And we can look to ourselves and the world and others and take our eyes off Jesus. But true blessing is to be found in first and foremost in being poor in spirit and recognizing that we are spiritually bankrupt before the Lord. The song, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. When we're here, it causes us then to mourn over our sin, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to show mercy to others, to desire to be pure in heart, to be a peacemaker, and to be willing to be persecuted for the sake of Jesus. From there, after we work through all the Beatitudes there, we moved into those metaphors of salt and light, remember, and the impact that we're to have and we are to be, and really what we are to the lost world around us. Because if we're in Christ, what do we say? We are salt and we are light, as the text says. And now we get into the next part of our text and the radical righteousness of the kingdom. We're going to see in our text today what Christ's relationship to the law is and what our, as as a Christian, what our relationship to the law is. So let me read the text and then we'll get started. As always, I'm reading from the ESV. I'm in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes the one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So one statement that we can pull very easily from our text just by reading it and looking at it, Jesus did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. Let me read verse 17 there in Matthew 5, and we're going to take this apart together one verse at a time. So Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do not think is a pretty strong word, right? Have you ever said that to your kiddos or your parents said that to you? Because kind of like that, don't even think about it. No way kind of thinking they're right. So what are they not to think in that verse that Jesus is talking about? That he came to abolish. They're not to think that he came to abolish the law, which can also be translated as demolish, destroy, or overthrow. So what does Jesus mean by the law here? So the word for law means commandments or instructions. And this, in the context here, would include the moral law, the judicial law, and the ceremonial law. The moral law is what we know as the Ten Commandments. Think there, Exodus chapter 20. The judicial laws gave guidance on how God's people were to govern their lives and what they were to do and not do in regards to one another. 
and the ceremonial laws gave specific and very detailed instructions on how the nation of Israel was to perform sacrifices to God. Jesus came to fulfill all these. John MacArthur said, Because Matthew does not qualify his use of the law, we are safe to say that it was God's whole law, the commandments, statutes, and judgments, the moral, judicial, and ceremonial that Jesus came not to abolish, but to fulfill. It was also the other Old Testament teachings based on the law and all their types, patterns, symbols, and pictures that he came to fulfill. Jesus Christ came to accomplish every aspect and every dimension of the divinely authored word, end quote there. And always, I, I'll put those quotes that I, the, especially the ones that are really primary, I will put those in the show notes for you. So our verse there, it doesn't stop at the law. It also continues and says, he came to fulfill the prophets. Everything that was said about Christ in the Old Testament, the prophecies concerning him, he came to fulfill them all. Susan Heck stated in her study on the Sermon on the Mount, she said, when Jesus came, he warned the nation of Israel of much that the Old Testament prophets had previously warned them of. This gives huge weight to the argument that we should give heed to the Old Testament. And Martin Lloyd-Jones shared on this text, the moment you begin to question the authority of the Old Testament, you are of necessity questioning the authority of the Son of God himself, and you will find yourself in endless trouble and difficulty. So, end quote there. So the prophets and the law pointed to Jesus And our verse continues and states that he came to fulfill them. And fulfill means to complete or satisfy. So Jesus fulfilled the law by obeying it perfectly. R. Kent Hughes in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount shared five ways Jesus fulfilled the law. And I want to work through this a little bit because this was helpful to me. So I got a little bit of R. Kent Hughes and a little bit of my thoughts in here with it as we went, as I went through the text on it and some other additional verses to share from what he also had there. So first off, he said, number one, he said, the law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. So he, Jesus, fulfilled their messianic predictions. And think here, Micah 5, 5.2, where it was Jesus' place of birth, or the crucifixion, think Psalm 22.16. The law and the prophets signify the entire Old Testament. Luke 24.44 reminds us, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So the entire Old Testament had a prophetic function that was fulfilled in Christ. So that was number one, the law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. And then number two, the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. So Jesus fulfilled the law by dying on the cross and satisfying the demands of the law against all those who would believe on him. Sacrifice meant death. And the Old Testament sacrifices prepared them for Jesus' death when he died for our sins. Jesus fulfilled what the sacrificial system had pointed to. And I want to elaborate a little bit more on this second point. Sacrifices in the Old Testament were a signpost to Jesus. They knew in Old Testament times that sin meant death. Either the person or this either the person or sinner was going to die or an innocent substitute. So the sacrifices are not an end in themselves because we would still have them today if they were, right? But they were pointing to Jesus. 
all through the Old Testament, this is what God was doing. So when the Messiah came at the perfect time, they would understand that when they sinned, they would need a substitute. Sin means death, and to avoid their own spiritual death, they needed a substitute. And throughout his word, God revealed this to the Old Testament saints and to us so that we would fully understand our great need of Jesus. His perfect sacrifice on the cross paid the penalty for our sin. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hebrews 7.27 says, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. I always think of Jesus saying, it is finished, right? Hebrews 10, 11 through 13 states, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. So no further sacrifices are needed. Jesus was and is the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for sin. It is finished. And third, Jesus perfectly kept all the commands. He kept the law perfectly. He never fell short, even in one point. 1 Peter 2.22 tells us he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was born under the law, Galatians 4.4 tells us, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And then he was born under the law to fulfill all righteousness, as it tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. John MacArthur states on that, he said, Christ was here identifying himself with sinners. He will ultimately bear their sins. His perfect righteousness will be imputed to them. The act of baptism that we were just reading about there in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 and 15, when Jesus came to John the Baptist there, this act of baptism was a necessary part of the righteousness he secured for sinners. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And fourth here, Jesus fulfills the law in believers by the means of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, chapter 2 through 4 states, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin and the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in Christ, we can now fulfill the righteousness of the law by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. So if you are in Christ, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ alone, you can now fulfill the righteousness of the law by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Ezekiel 11, um, chapter 11, verses 19 to 20 states, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. 
So God's law is written on the hearts of his disciples. When we walk by the Spirit, we fulfill the desires of the Spirit and not the flesh. We will not only do what the law requires, but it's going to be our great delight to do so. And very last, the fifth way our Kent Hughes worked through here, he said, Jesus brought the doctrines of the Old Testament to fruition by his teaching and person. And J.C. Ryle states on this particular point, he said, the Old Testament is the gospel in the bud. The New Testament is the gospel in full flavor. The Old Testament is the gospel in the blade, and the New Testament is the gospel in full ear, end quote there. So Jesus did, Jesus did not destroy the law, but he fulfilled it. He is the author of the law or the, and the fulfiller of the law. And because of Jesus, we have a new heart that now desires to obey him. His law is not burdensome. So as we continue to move forward here in Matthew 5, 18, Jesus tells us, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So all will be fulfilled. And Jesus uses here in Matthew 5, 18, the words iota and dot. Some translations use jot and tittle to show us that nothing, nothing will be left undone. Everything will be fulfilled. Even the smallest, minutest, tiniest thing that might seem totally insignificant will be fulfilled. God doesn't change Scripture doesn't change, and we're reminded in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So when we see the demands of the law and come to the end of ourselves, realizing we can never live up to them, that we fall short of the righteousness of God every day, over and over again, right? We know this. I mean, even if it's not our outward actions, we know we fall short in our inward thinking and thoughts. The law shows us how hopeless we are in and of ourselves and how great and merciful our God is in sending his own son to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law in our place. So friends, if we're in Christ, we need to be reminded of 2 Peter 1.3 that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And then this brings us to the next part of the text, Matthew 5, 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is not contradicting anything in this verse. We're not saved by the law, but once we are saved, once we are born again, we've been given new hearts and we desire to obey the law joyfully. The Pharisees were known to break up the commands of God into greater and lesser ones, and they didn't think it was really any big deal to break the lesser ones. We can tend to do this too, because as my husband likes to refer to us all, we are all recovering Pharisees. We tend to think of ourselves much higher than we ought, how often do we forget about the log in our own eye and focus on the speck in others? What about in areas of our inward sins and in our thought life and our attitudes? We may think to ourselves, well, I don't commit adultery, but then we go about and we gossip about someone. Or we may not murder someone, but we think evil thoughts about them in our hearts. All our sin, even what we contend to think of as a little sin, caused Jesus to go to the cross. So whether I commit murder outwardly or inwardly, my sin required a payment. Jesus paid the price for my sin by his death. Friend, we cannot ignore even the least of the commandments of God. 
Yes, God's grace is bigger than all our sin, but there is a very unbiblical teaching called antinomianism. And my husband just preached a sermon on Romans 6 too, so this is fresh in my mind. It's a good sermon. I'll link to it if you want to take a listen to it. But antinomianism is taken from two Greek words, anti meaning against and nomos meaning law. So antinomianism means against the law. It's an unbiblical teaching that says Christians aren't required to obey the moral law. This is what Paul was addressing in Romans 6, 1 through 2, where he said, What shall we say then? Are we, con- are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? We know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And in Christ, God has given us new desires. And we are so grateful for his grace and forgiveness as we see what he saved us from, that we desire to please and obey him. It is out of gratitude. Scripture is clear in so many places that there is a moral law God wants us to obey. John 14, 21 states, Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Or 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. When we're loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the first and greatest commandment, and loving our neighbor as ourself, we're going to desire to please God, and we're going to desire to do good to our neighbor. This is the law of love, the law of Christ, and what he expects from us is his own, that he has called that He has called to himself. We are those that he has called to himself. So we don't want to break God's commands, but we want to be doers of the law and not just hearers, and we want to teach others to do the same. Let me read this full passage in James. Um, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So our God doesn't leave us on our own, right? His word is implanted in our souls and we are equipped to do just as it states there in verse 21 there in James chapter one, just before this text to receive with meekness the implant. Oh, I take that back. I'm actually in Matthew, I believe. So I apologize. I'm lost. I'm lost in my own podcast. Oh my goodness. I've never been there before. Just almost every episode, but (laughs) I'm lost with you and you get to experience this with me to receive with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So I'm going to guess that it's before there in James, but um, when I figure that out, I'll put that verse in the show notes. So, and as it states in James 1.25 there, which we just read, but obedience to God's word brings blessing and freedom. So Matthew 5.19 tells us how to become great in the kingdom of heaven by keeping God's commands and teaching others to do the same. We need to know what God's word says And as we know his word, we will know what he desires and be obedient to it by the power of the spirit at work in us. And our life should be a model of this to others. Think here, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I want to just, I'm going to go off my podcast notes here. And I just want to convey that when I said that we need to know what God's word says. Friends, we need to be in the word. We need to be women of the word. We need to be reading the word, studying the word, applying the word, meditating on the word, memorizing the word. We need to be in our Bibles because there will be no change if you just go to church once a week and hear the sermon and you do nothing on your own that you never crack open that Bible. And if you don't know where to begin, I do. I have 
a free mini course on my site. It's called Jumpstart Your Mornings. It'll be somewhere to start. Um, I encourage you to do that. If you want a little more help, I talked about the Homemaking Matters community where we have a little more accountability and we have a spiritual teaching each month on different topics and just a little more encouragement there. But nevertheless, you have a Bible in your house. Figure out when you're going to get up, what you're going to read, what you're going to do, and take the time to just do it because you need to know what what God's word says. If you don't know what what his word says, you don't even know what to be obedient to. So this is that's huge. So let me come back to teaching here now. So teaching involves living a life of obedience to God's word and teaching it to others verbally and by our example. So as I'm saying this even think they're your teaching. If you have children in your home, what are you teaching them about God's word? And how are they seeing it lived out in your life? How are you being obedient to it? So this moves us down to Matthew 5.20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. One commentator stated on this verse, he said, to the average man on the street, the Jews of Jesus's day, this was absolutely shocking. So for them to hear Matthew 5.20, this was shocking because the scribes and the Pharisees made obedience to God's law the master passion of their lives. They calculated that the law contained 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions, and they tried to keep them all. So it seemed impossible, but the Pharisees' focus was merely external. They were self-righteous. And one commentator put it this way, those rules insulated them from the law's piercing heart demands. They were the ones looking at the publican and saying, thank God I'm not like that man. Jesus desires an obedience from the heart, not an outward external obedience. He tells us in Matthew 5:48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So this brings us back here to Matthew 5:3. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who realize and confess their spiritual bankruptcy before the Lord. It's when we've been given eyes to see ourselves as sinners before a holy God, and we come before the Lord and cry out, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. We need to praise the Lord for bringing us to the place to recognize our utter spiritual poverty before him, because this is the place where we find true blessing, because this is the place where we are, where we come to see our great need of Jesus. All is grace, right, friend? But this brings us back to verse 15 in Matthew 5. Jesus didn't come to abolish, actually, um, verse 17. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them because Jesus did what we couldn't do. He can give us the righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. He lived a perfect life and he died the death that you and I deserved. What does he call us to do now that we are in Christ? And our verse is here, to be obedient to the law and to teach it to others. I want to end with a quote here as we're coming to a close soon from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, the man who has been born again and who has the divine nature within him is a man who is righteous and his righteousness does exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. He's no longer living for self and his own attainments. He's no longer self-righteous and self-satisfied. He has become poor in spirit, meek and merciful. He hungers and thirsts after righteousness. He has become a peacemaker. His heart is being purified. 
He loves God, yes, unworthily, alas, but he loves him and he longs for his honor and glory. His desire is to glorify God and to keep and honor and fulfill his law. The commandments of God to such a man are not grievous. He continues, he says, he wants to keep them for he loves them. He's no longer at enmity against God, but now he sees the holiness of the law and nothing so appeals to him as the living of this law and the exemplifying of it in his daily life. It is a righteousness that far exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones continues with some questions for us to search our hearts. He's saying that some of the most vital questions that can be asked are some of these. So let me, do you know God? Do you love God? Can you honestly say that the biggest and the first thing in your life is to glorify him and that you so want to do this that you do not care what it may cost you in any sense? Do you feel that this must come first and not that you may be better than somebody else, but that you may honor and glorify and love that God who, though you have sinned against him grievously, has sent his only begotten son to the cross on Calvary's hill to die for you that you might be forgiven and that he might restore you unto himself. He says, let every man examine himself. I do pray that Psalm 139, 23, and 24 would be our prayer, where it states, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm so grateful for Jesus, my friend, because in Christ, Jesus truly is enough. All is grace. I'm so thankful for you and your time today. All the episodes, again, in this series are under my Christian Living tab on the menu, and it's just when you hover over that, the Sermon on the Mount series will drop down. All the show notes and links and verses and the verses I botched will be over at thankfulhomemaker.com. And also, don't forget to check out the Homemaking Matters community when you get a moment, my friend. It'll just be a little bit more of this in a more intimate setting where we can communicate a little more face-to-face, actually, which I really love. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying my time there. But I am so grateful for you, my friend, and I do pray that you have a very blessed week. 